Welcome to Bloody Mary's, a queer horror movie podcast. This episode we're talking about The Orphanage. I'm the doll that must never be touched, Alex. And I'm the unseen fingers that touch you at night, (laughs) (laughs) Sean. No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, We are horror nerds and flatmates from Hackney, um, and our pronouns are they, them. Um, Some content notes, Uh, there aren't many for this one, uh, but there is obviously swearing, uh, some suicide, um, and spoilers, as always, so if you want to watch the film before you get spoiled, you better do that. The Orphanage is a Spanish film. And it was the debut film of director Juan Antonio uh, Bayona, who worked with uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, who helped to produce this film. He worked with him in order to, because of the name recognition that he had, because his vision for the film, uh, he wanted to double the budget and also the time they were given to work on it, which is why he roped in del Toro. Um, When it opened at Cannes Film Festival in May of 2007, it received a 10-minute-long standing ovation. Wow. Um, uh, The lead actress, uh, Belen Rueda, uh, apologies if I've just butchered that pronunciation, she was cast as the lead character, Lara, um, and in preparation she was asked to watch The Innocents, which we watched recently, which is the uh, Turn of the Screw adaptation uh, and the screenplays written by Truman Capote. Um, uh, For the character of Simon... Uh, who's the little boy, um, there were 400 children uh, uh, like test screened for that role. Wow. Um, but Simon got the role in the end. Um, it was very widely crit- uh, critically praised, particularly for uh, the lead performance um, and also for the lack of cheap scares and effects. Um, there was one review that described it as being uh, the most, uh, the best horror film this year is also the most simple, um, obviously in reference to this one. Um it was also a huge commercial success, and it had a larger financial success in, in, uh, initially than Pan's Labyrinth did, which was another a Guillermo del Toro one, which came out the previous year. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's talk of a potential remake. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Well, American. Um, American, um. but with uh, Guillermo del Toro directing. Okay. Um, and these talks have been going on since two thousand and nine. Mm. Um. Apparently, um, uh, Del Toro always had in mind that he wanted to do a remake because the script, the original screenplay, was a lot denser and followed the stories of the other orphans a bit more. Ah. Um, There are two main criticisms, which I think we'll talk about more as we go on, but one of them is a very big plot hole, um, which is uh, the storyline of Benigna killing all of the orphans. Yeah. And it being unknown that they'd all been killed until she found out, considering it was literally all of the orphans in the orphanage. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I know. I really wish I didn't know that because it's a... But is it definitely all the orphans? Because is it not just the ones that killed her son? But we only ever see those six when we see the scenes of them like playing or that's running true. around. I was just There's only six there beds. Was another bedroom. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the other criticism is about the lighthouse, which is I think it's a minor criticism. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So the the lighthouse, which features heavily at the end, um, kind of shines a light into the room, and that's mentioned a few times throughout the film. And lighthouses would not have shone onto land; they only shine out to sea. But it's I mean it's a minor criticism. Mm. Um, but I guess the bigger criticism 
is about the use of a disfigured child for horror purposes. Yes, yeah. I... Well, we'll discuss that later. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. it's maybe not... It's a bit more nuanced. I should also say, this is literally my favourite film. Yes. And I am obsessed I'm, with it. I'm scared that I'll say the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you're not as in love with it as I am, but I will accept that. You, obviously, it just doesn't have the gritty transphobia you enjoyed so much in uh, Sleepaway Camp. You know me. <laughs> so, the film begins with, uh, kind of in the past, seeing uh, the... Kids of the orphanage uh, playing uh, in the garden outside the house. The house is like kind of uh, colonial era, sort of beautiful big house. Um, And uh, they're playing um, Knock on the Wall, Uno, Dos, Tres, Toca la Pared, which I guess is like uh, Postman Knock, Grandmother's Footsteps, what's it called? Yeah, I... It is. There's an, uh, it's like a Mr. traffic Wolf. light one as well. Uh, yeah, there's like a few different versions of the same game. Basically. Yeah, but it's yeah. basically where you like turn your back, you count to three, turn around, and everyone's got to stay still. But then the idea is to get close, and then you tap them on the shoulder when they're count. Whoever's counting, when you reach them, yeah, and then you run off. And I think they've all got to go and hide, or you've got to catch one of them or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's... I don't know what happens after you that bit. <laughs> yeah, um, the. Um, so they're playing this. Most of the, or at least half of the, so there's like six children and maybe half of them have uh, like visible disabilities. Yes. Um, one of them uh, is blind. One of them has a leg brace. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure about the others, but. Yeah, nothing noticeable. The, no. um, and then uh, the kind of matron or whoever it is of the orphanage mm. is on the phone saying, oh, no, Lara doesn't know yet, but she's adopted. Yeah. And then you hear her saying, she kind of stands out and looks at all of the kids playing and you hear her saying, obviously, to Laura in a different scene, um, oh, you know, your friends are really going to miss you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So then there's the credits, which are also the be- my favourite opening credits ever, which is with the little hands ripping off the wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it begins uh, with them, with uh, Laura, yeah. her husband, Carlos, um, and their son, Simon, in that house in present day. And she's now in her late 30s. Um, the... There has been criticism about the father's performance, Carlos. Um, there was one review, that, there's a couple of reviews that said that his acting wasn't really much. There wasn't really like, much for him to do. He's like, doesn't well, seem very present. Yeah, and that's one of the, uh, one of the reviews said he didn't do much with his role, but there also wasn't really much for him to do. That's true. Um, but, um, so they're in this new house, and the idea is that they have... Um, it's always been her dream to buy this house again because it's where she grew up um, and she wants to uh, kind of open it up as a home for children with disabilities, which I guess it mostly was when she was there, although as far as I know, she doesn't have a disability. Yeah, um, it might just be like an orphanage with some children with yeah. disabilities. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of all building up to this kind of open day they're going to have for uh, families with disabled children to come to or something. It's not really clear, I guess, what, yeah. is, what the format of that is going to be. <laughs> um, so we know from the... It, it opens with Simon waking up. <clears throat> and it's a minor bit, but it's where one of the we first hear from uh, Carlos, the father, by saying, I'll go, it's my turn. Um, and then he just throws over and goes back to sleep, which is very much classic dad. (laughs) So she gets up and she goes, and he's a little bit scared in the new house, uh, has lots of questions. Um, He uh, wants to know why the children that are going to come and stay can't just go home, and she says they need extra special care. Mm -hmm. Um, We also find out that he's got 
some imaginary friends. Yes. Um, and does she open the window <clears throat> to let them in? Yeah. yeah he yeah. says they're cold or they're outside or something. So right. She, so she kind of plays along, but she does also say. Aren't you a bit old for this, Simon? And that's actually like <laughs> a Peter Pan sort of style thing because the children go out the window, don't they? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And, and the window's got to be left open for yeah. them to come in. Yeah. The um. So the the director, uh, he was one of his main inspirations for the film, and one of the reasons he liked the, the script so much is because of the allusions to Peter Pan, ah. um, and I think he added a lot of those in. Um, and and he saw it more as like a fantasy film than a horror film. <clears throat> Mm. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's very like beautiful and peaceful for a horror film. I don't think it's um, it's not like a screamathon. No, it's like chilling. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, so the next day, uh, the dad's playing the piano. Mum comes and sits with him. Uh, he, Simon comes down. Simon rather comes down in a very cute little kind of space, <laughs> yeah, not space like outfit, a but like a Superman outfit. Like a super Simon. <laughs> yeah, um, and he, uh, his parents make him take a little tablet, which is the first kind of allusion to the fact that he, uh, he, he well. is not very well. Um, and uh, they, um, him and the mother, go for a walk to the beach later in the day. Yes, and uh, they do this bit, which comes into it again later, where. He names three things and then she makes a little story out of them. So yes. he talks about like pirate, hidden treasure and caves. And this idea of hidden treasure <clears throat> is kind of like the other thing that runs throughout. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of, I kind of see the film, the more I see it, and I've seen it a million times, I <laughs> see it as being like the whole thing is like a child's game where they're trying to help her find something. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but she misreads it as them being the cause of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so they're talking about hidden treasure. They go into this big cave and... Well, he goes into the cave. She stays outside. She's like looking at shells. And he sees something or someone. And then when she comes in, he's talking to them. And he says, oh, I've got a new friend. And she kind of rolls her eyes because she's like, not another one. Not another one? <laughs> <laughs> to quote Twitter grandma. Um, <laughs> um, and he like invites this child to play. And then the dad comes and joins them. They walk back to the house yeah. and he leaves a little trail of shells you, for his friend to find him. Do you think at that point you see a little figure? Because I thought I saw a little figure in the in the darkness of the cave before she shines the light into it, actually. I don't know if you noticed that. When she's following the foot, the foot No, footprints. before, yeah, before she shines no, the light. No, I, I haven't. But I've kind of tried to because I feel like that is the moment where you would see something. Yeah, but I didn't yeah. see anyone. Um, maybe I imagined it. Maybe. Maybe you're haunted. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, uh, yeah, so he leaves, like, a little trail, which, again, is quite a, like, sort of fairy tale kind of thing, like Hansel and Gretel kind of illusion. Yes. Um, and then, uh, so someone arrives at the door, and it's uh, an iconic woman called Beninia, mm. and she claims to be a social worker, and uh, Laura's like, well, the kids aren't here yet, and I haven't, you know, I'm not interviewing for anyone yet, and she said, no, I'm here about Simon. And she's got Simon's file, but actually what she's doing is she's asking lots of questions about what Lara's plans are with the building. Yes. Um, so like, are you making many changes? How are you going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just checking uh, whether she's going to be discovered. Yes. Um, and uh, she also speaks about uh, Simon's illness. And it's like, there are new medicines, you know. And Lara's like, my husband's a doctor. We don't need you to... Why have you got this file? Like, we don't need you to be talking about this. And we also find out for the first time that Simon is adopted as well. 
So um, yes. Laura herself was adopted. She's adopted someone and also wants to kind of give back in the same way that she feels like that orphanage was like a safe space for her, which obviously yes. didn't turn out being safe <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> um, so we see a glimpse of a paperwork and it reveals that uh, that Simon is HIV positive. So that's what his daily medication is for. Um, that night, Laura wakes up to the sound of banging. And she tells Carlos, but Carlos doesn't care. So she goes out to investigate. Yeah, this is like, why is Carlos so, like, not there and not bothered by yeah. Um She goes out to this kind of, like, outhouse thing, yeah. which has uh, these kind of furnaces in there. And it's got loads of old furniture and it's kind of storage space. And she goes in, she can hear some banging. And then in quite a comedy moment, you see Benigna kind of hiding in the shadows. And yeah, she's got a shovel. A and she runs out. And there's some funny, like, yeah, kind of music as she goes out. like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then um, they, she wakes her husband. He does eventually come and do something. And she's walking around with a big stick. And he's like, what, are you going to beat an old lady? <laughs> um, um, and then the next day which is supposed to be the day of the... Well, it is the day of the kind of open house, the, like the open day for uh, families with uh, children with disabilities to come. She opens the front door and she sees a big pile of shells at the front door. Mm. Um, and uh, the, also the bathroom door slams upstairs. So obviously it's as if like the kind of... Something's The ghost has arrived. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Um, Oh, what happens? Well, um, oh, so she's re- he's reading Neverland, uh, Peter Pan. Yes, and he asks her, uh, like he asked his mother, "When will you die?" And she's like, "Oh, not until you're very, very old." Um, and he says he never wants to grow up. And she's like, "Oh, I like Peter Pan." And he says, "Like my new friends." And she's like, "How many are there? I thought there was just the one." And he's like, six. <laughs> another one. <laughs> no, another, another one. <laughs> Um, and she, uh, she finds his drawing that he's done and it's the drawing of the five, uh, five kids in the kind of orphanage outfit. And then this one kid that has a sack on his head. Sack. A sack of magic. Yeah. <laughs> um. <Pond> tear. <laughs> and the mother says, what are they holding in their hands? And they've got like, one of them's got a flower or something. Oh, yeah. And Simon's like, oh, that's, uh, they've, they've each got a treasure. And it's a game they play. They steal a treasure and then you've got to follow the clues. Your most precious thing. Yeah. And she says, what is your most precious thing? And he says, some coins that you found on a beach. Yes. Or something like that. um, Or in a park. Um, And he's like, I'll show you. And then he opens up this tin that he's got uh, those, or that he had those coins in. But it's actually just his baby teeth. And she's like, these aren't the coins. And he said, yeah, because they've hidden them. This is the game. So at this point, obviously, she thinks that Simon is yeah. playing this game. So they go and look to see where the teeth came from. And in that place, there's another clue. And then they go to another place and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, and then, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, And then it leads them to the drawer that she's locked his paperwork in that, t- that says that yes. he is adopted and has HIV, is HIV positive. Yes. Um, so she's angry that he's got into that because he thinks it's kind of... But he says that his friends have told him. And so they have like a... Um, and he's like, you're not my real mother. Yeah. And they have like a sit down chat with him, the parents, and kind of explain how, you know, he takes a tablet every day. He'll be fine. Uh, he's not going to die. And he says, how long could I go without it? And they're like, days or weeks? You know, we don't know. You, you're fine. We, we'll make sure you take it every day. You're not going to die. You're definitely not going to die. 100%. <laughs> so uh, the, the guests start to arrive for the open house. Um, and Simon says... 
I found Tomas's little house, and Tomas is the friend that he said he made in the cave. Yes. And she's like, no, we can't, we can't. And he's kind of like acting out a bit. And he's like, no, we need to go now. We need to go now. And then she slaps him, looks a bit kind of shocked at herself. Yeah. Um, and then says, you don't have to come down if you don't want to come down, but I've got to go. And then goes down to this uh, open day thing. So it's loads of families with kids and they're all wearing these quite creepy kind of folky masks that are a bit kind of Wicker Man-esque. Yeah, that they've supplied, weirdly. I, I mean, I don't know why you would want everyone to wear a weird mask, but yeah. I suppose it just kind of feeds into the story. Yes, it's more of a sort of aesthetic horror choice, I guess. Um, and at the party, she thinks she sees Beninia from behind, but then the woman turns around and it's just another woman and she's obviously got this on her mind because she found her rummaging around in yes, the outhouse. Yes, to heal Beninia. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> And then uh, it's during that kind of garden party scene where we see our first glimpse of Thomas, as in uh, the boy with the sack on his head. Although it might, although it might be Simon, it's unclear who it is at that point. Um, So part of that outfit is that he's got like a—is it like a dog whistle? Uh, yes. So it's like a really kind uh, of shrill, high-pitched whistle. I think the matron has it at the beginning. Yeah, Um, yeah. Um, And then. yeah, so uh, she goes around the house looking for Simon, and she gets to kind of the end of the corridor by the bathroom, and she looks over and she sees uh, this child with sack the sack head, sack head child, yes. um, and he's kind of doing quite kind of heavy breathing, yeah. and very slowly walks up to her, and she, there's a bit, it's really tender, she puts a hand out, and he kind of like nuzzles into a hand like a cat does, Um yeah, and she then she thinks tr- it's Simon, though, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. And she tries to take off the, the sack, and he pushes her, and she falls back, and then he jams a finger in the bathroom door. Yeah. And then she falls back into the bath and, like, bashes herself, and then she pulls off a fingernail. Yeah, um, it's pretty, like, dramatic fall. <clears throat> yes, although <laughs> not the most dramatic fall. That comes very oh, shortly yes. afterwards. Um, and then he locks her in the bathroom and kind of up against the, like, frosted window holds up the key. Yeah, I was thinking that it's how would it? I don't think it is Simon. Like at, at this point, because like, why would he be so violent? Like, well, she has just slapped him. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, like shopping, like it was just like a little slap on the face, wasn't it? But why would it be Thomas? Um, well, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't. I don't know. Like, it. What? what like, what? Why does that bit happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I. I think it's Simon. <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, because it's spoopy. Yeah, yeah. But um, the uh, so her husband lets her out of the like kind of crowbars the door open. Yeah, and they go around looking everywhere for um, uh, Simon, uh, including under the stairs. She opens the door, and all of these kind of bits of scaffolding fall out. Foreshadow. Um. And then she kind of goes around loads of kids that definitely aren't Simon and takes, <laughs> takes their masks off. Is this you? Tiny ginger girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she thinks she runs towards the cave thinking that he might have gone back there. Yeah. And at this time, the tide is in. The tide is high. And <laughs> um, Carlos falls into the sea. Then she falls over and like... And manages to break her leg. Yeah, like a bone weird. pops out. Yeah. It's a very... It's, yeah, it's quite an extreme response to a little stumble in the sand. <laughs> in the lovely soft, bouncy sand. Um, and then next thing we know... she Oh, so she sees in, in the kind of distance in the cave, she sees like a little boy. Yes. Um, who seems to be wearing what Tomas was wearing earlier, which was like white shirt sleeves and like a, a waistcoat yeah, yeah. or something. Um, and she sees a few glimpses, and Carlos is like, he's not there, there's no one there, you're seeing things, blah, blah, blah. 
And then next we see a dive team who are looking in the sea, looking around in the cave, yeah. trying to find him. And she's in the hospital bed. And this is where we meet uh, Pilar, who yeah. is the psycholo- a poli- like a psychologist working for the police. Yes. And she is there... She basically says, so your husband has told me... She very quickly becomes a bit of an ally with the husband. Um, and they kind yeah. of tweet uh, like Laura... Suspicious Susans yeah. together. <laughs> And they're like, we know he's adopted. Uh, sorry, I've been told he's adopted. Uh, I know he's HIV positive. Obviously, we realise that this is urgent. But uh, we also have to think about what might have happened. And we know that you had a break-in. Could it be that she's a relative, that she's stolen him? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so she, she says, we've looked up uh, her name. And she's, there's no social worker by that name. There's but no we'll... such Beninia. <laughs> <laughs> there's Beninia. <laughs> Um, oh, Beninia, so nice to have seen ya. Inform me briefly. Have you stolen my baby? <laughs> um, so, uh, but they say, you know, we're going to find her. And then they get back home. Uh, Lara's in a wheelchair, obviously distraught. And her husband gives her a pendant thing, like a necklace that he has. Uh, which I think is his treasure. I think everyone's got their own little treasure. Oh, right, Because um, yeah. he's kind of reunited with it at the end. That's, That's his, like, last moment. Yeah. Um, and it's a little, like, necklace from his grandmother or someone, and it's of St. Anthony. And St. Anthony is the patron saint of finding things, of lost things. Oh, um, right. So you, if yeah. you have lost something, you're supposed to pray to St. Anthony. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only Catholic imagery that we see on this. Oh, please. Um, well, I'll tell you when we get there. Um, so she has this dream, which I think is a little bit unnecessary but it looks nice she has this dream where she's swimming uh kind of just through a big kind of black expanse um yes water (laughs) that's the one um spooky water spooky water um a very dark soup um (laughs) she is the crouton in the spooky soup (laughs) no (laughs) and then she hears that shrill dog whistle thing and wakes up and then she is banging, so she wheels herself out onto the corridor. Why they had her still sleeping upstairs when she's in a wheelchair seems a little bit cruel. Yeah. But, um, but not the worst representation of disability in the film. No, um, and she hears banging, and she kind of puts her ear up against the wall, and then she hears a very, very big bang. And for some reason, she rushes into Simon's room and thinks someone's in the bed, but she lifts back the sheet, and it's a doll. Yes. Um, so the doll is the beginning of them trying to play a game, trying to help her find the lost treasure, but she doesn't click onto this until way later in the film. Yeah, that's right. Um, thank you. Um, no, I, was just trying to, I was trying to remember what happens later in the film. Carry on, everyone. <laughs> uh, so, we now skip ahead six months later, and they're in, a, like, a bereavement support group. I thought you were say burrito. <laughs> <laughs> and the house sadly been baked into a burrito. Um, and then... Um, She's, she starts talking about his imaginary friends to the group, and you can see Carlos kind of like rolling his eyes. Especially, um, yeah, some of the men as well in the group being like, ugh, yeah. women. Especially when she then says that she's starting to believe that they are in the house. Um, and then this other mother pipes out with this really beautiful moment where she says that she's lost her daughter and she saw her after she died. She went into her room and saw her and she's just really calm and tranquil. Yeah. And then they all say that, Excuse me. <laughs> they, uh, that they've all experienced similar things. And she's like, I appreciate you for sharing, but this is not the same experience. Simon is alive and I'm going to find him. Yes. Um, and then uh, you, this is where the husband really starts doubting her sanity, which is kind of the theme that goes on for the rest of his role in the film. Really. Yeah, classic. 
Um, <laughs> so at this point, I should say that I have, and I always say this to you, you're probably bored for me saying this. But I can't I, wait. But, so my favourite horror films are haunted house films, like as a genre. That oh, was my yawn. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that the haunted house genre is the most feminist genre within horror. I believe that you believe that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, because the, it tends to be, the model, and this follows it perfectly, mm. the, it's normally like a, a heterosexual family. Mm. The wife believes that the house is haunted from the beginning. Yeah. The husband doesn't. The husband needs a lot of convincing, never believes it. He's more, more likely to be the one that ends up going mad, which doesn't happen in this one. Yes. But she ultimately is the one that ends up saving the day or beating the ghost or winning or finding the child in this case because she perseveres. Yeah, um, but quite often that kind of victory isn't seen um, by the actual characters within the film. That like she could, she still remains at the end of the film. She looks crazy. Yeah, for sure. But she, yeah, but she, yeah, it's not seen. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I also realised watching this because I'm really not a big fan of the Babadook, and I think <laughs> I'm through Babadook. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah, it is the Babadook. Oh. Um, <laughs> it just sounds weird. Babadook. Babadook. <laughs> and, like, I think it's a very beautiful film, but I don't, I didn't love it. But I think the reason why, because I'm so obsessed with this film, I feel like the Babadook is like the anti-orphanage. Um, please welcome to the stage, anti-orphanage. Um, because I feel like both films are ultimately about a woman dealing with grief. And in the Babadook, she kind of becomes evil because of how that grief manifests itself. Whereas yeah. in this one, that grief drives her to kind of find a resolution in some way. Yeah. I just think it's like a really ugly, lazy version of the story that this one's trying to tell sure. and doing so much better. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, so the husband's doubting her sanity. Then they're driving um, and they uh, someone oh, steps yeah. out in front of the car. So the husband like kind of puts the brakes on. And Lara looks up and sees Benigna walking, walking across the street. It's Benigna! I seen her! <laughs> um, and she's pushing like quite an old-fashioned pushchair thing. And then she gets out of the car and shouts Benigna. Benigna turns around and then gets hit by an ambulance or a van like or a something. Bus, a bus, yeah. Um, I was thinking that that kind of format of the kind of silently staring with like a really close shot and then suddenly being hit by a bus is like quite a common thing now. I um, think the first time I saw that was Final Destination. Well, actually, I think the first time I saw it was in Mean Girls, where Regina gets hit. Oh, <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> Which actually, yeah, it was like a few years before this, but I don't think that he got his, uh, his idea for Benigna getting squished by Regina. No, that's true. I, I, I remember the first time I saw it. There's a scene in Final Destination where someone thinks they've cheated the system and then they step out. Like, they walk away and then a bus or something hits them. Yeah, I've seen it in, like, a few things recently. Like, in the recent Twilight Zone episode and, like, some other things where they just do, like, a close-up shot of someone looking quite calm and still. Mm. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a bus is like, squish! <laughs> well, next time we see Benigna, she's not looking so calm and still. Oh, no. Um, this, this is the bit in the film that reminds... That makes me think of uh, Guillermo del Toro's influence a lot. Because it reminds me of the the bit in Pan's Labyrinth where... The uh, the guy's being beaten to death with the end of a bottle. And it's so brutal. It's like one of the most graphically br- wow. brutal things I've seen. And this kind of reminded me of it because her... 
her kind of disfigurement from the crash is so grotesque, like her jaws hanging open. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's so funny, like, yeah, like with the husband giving mouth to mouth and then coming up with sort of a jammy chin. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I think probably your whole face would have gone inside. Yeah, of and also, face. of course it won't work because you've got to, you can only do it through like a small, <laughs> her whole jaw is missing. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> Unless you like literally were climbing into a mouth to do it. Yeah, that bit kind of reminded me of uh, Dragon Tell, it was kind of, kind of like, comedy like grotesque oh, yeah. kind of disfigured face it was just like, um, uh, but it's also maybe one of the big jumps like maybe one of the only big jumps in the film it's like the only bit that's like really gory or gruesome in any way yeah. actually um, but the reason that it, there's the jumpy bit comes in because she realises that Benigna is wearing the whistle thing that she saw on Thomas and also she finds the doll in the pram that was hit by the bus or whatever it was that is wearing this, that the looks like the, the sack head that she'd seen. <laughs> the sack <laughs> the head that she had seen. That she had seen. <laughs> um, so um, then they're at the police station or something, and Pilar, who's back, tells them, uh, we've looked into who this Benigna is now that we know who she was, um, and shows us some pictures, and he's like a stack of like Super 8. Yeah. And they say, like, she, so she's like, Benigna used to work at the... Um, the orphanage, but very briefly, Laura doesn't remember. Yeah. She had a son who was called Thomas, who uh, had a facial disfigurement, was kept hidden away from the rest of the kids. Yes. Um, wore a sack over his head, um, and at some point was lured into the caves by the other kids. And then they took his mask off and ran out to see how long it would take him to come out. And he ended up dying, drowning, presumably. Yeah, um, too shy. Yeah, but too shy. Um, <laughs> but the um, but the kids were kind of let off because they were kids playing a prank. They didn't mean to kill them sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the kind of background story. Um, and she watches some of the Super 8 um, and sees... Um, uh, it's weird that they would keep him hidden, but also film him. Yeah, um, but I think that bit was a bit silly. Yeah. Just like his his hideous face. Yeah, like I'm so proud of his disgustingness. <laughs> so I hide him in the basement, but also video. Him. Yeah, <laughs> and he's well. We don't know to the basement yet, but he is somewhere. Sa- somewhere question mark. Dark but he's got like lots of drawings up over his desk, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he yeah. keeps himself busy in his solitude. Keeps himself to himself. He does. <laughs> um, so. Um, then, this is one of my favourite of two monologues in the film, where she's lying in bed and she's talking to uh, Carlos about how, um, can you remember the first time we saw Simon, we called him our two little kilos, and, uh, you know, he's what made us strong, blah, 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 blah. And then she's like, Carlos, there's someone at the door. Um, and Carlos comes out of the bathroom and she realises that there was no one next to her the whole time. And that is, again, a bit of a trope, which yeah. I love. And they can reuse it till they blow the face, especially to people. But I've had it in, like, real, like, real inverse commas ghost stories as well, where people feel, like, a pressure in the bed and things. It's a, it's a long-standing... Well, it, re- it really reminds me of, in The Haunting of Hill House, the book, um, the, uh, one of the characters... The main woman uh, goes to sleep in the same room as the, the lesbian woman. And they're holding hands as they go to sleep. Oh, yeah. And then the next day she wakes up and she sees her at the other side of the room or, or something or other. But it yeah, turns out yeah. she's not holding her hand. And I think that's quite a, a lovely moment. Um, <clears throat> so then she goes to a uh, some sort of lecture that is being given about doppelgangers. Yeah, I like how that with that with this, like, hardly <clears throat> anyone in the room. And they even, like, insert, like, you just did a little, like, cough noise to emphasize the quietness and the emptiness <laughs> of the room. <laughs> <laughs> um... And the dop- the the man who is uh, who's talking about this says that if you see your doppelganger, that is your passport to another world. 
which is why at the end she sees herself as a child. Uh, uh, that's her. She sees herself, and that's when it's her time to to go. Okay, um, I didn't understand that. The uh, I only did because I read about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she speaks to the guy afterwards, and it's like I don't know what to do. I've tried everything, and he says. Uh, I know a medium who specialises in this sort of stuff. Not a large. Not a large. 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 Um, um, And uh, says, can she come to your house? And she says yes. So she arrives. This is sort of being a large thing. So she's called Aurora and is an iconic character. She's like very sort of skeletal face, uh, kind of quite unusual black eye makeup. Yeah. and then this is one of the like shittiest moments of the husband because she he's also invited Pilar the psychologist. Yeah, to talk. He roll. obviously wants someone else to roll his eyes at. Yeah. Um, and I think this is maybe the best kind of medium scene I've seen in a horror film. Seen in a scene scene. Seen in a scene scene. <laughs> um, maybe not Zelda Rubenstein, but no, um, <laughs> you can't be Zelda. But she's a Zelda Rubenstein sealer. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> thank you. Um, the, uh, so she does the thing where she, um, they all are watching on the screens in another room. She's walking around the house uh, after she's been kind of counted down into some sort of trance, and she's got the doll that needs she mm. needs to kind of. I like I like that bit actually where she's like sat on the chair and they've got the strobe <clears throat> on her face. Oh and yeah, put her into the trance. Yeah, that like, was cool because they're watching her through monitors and it's all like kind of like green like yeah like night vision night, night vision. I also really like that the the when you see the other rooms, they're in that night vision and it looks like beautiful still photographs. Like, it doesn't even look like a video. Um, It's always just such a beautiful film. Oh, it's beyond. Oh, it's I just love it. Um, So she is like, I can hear the kids, I can hear the kids, the window's open and there's light from the lighthouse and she goes to this door that she says she can't open um, and you can start to hear the kids screaming and they're saying... Before that, actually, I noticed that she was like hot. When she first starts hearing something, she's around the top of the stairs. Um, and I wondered whether that was uh, an allusion to later because then she goes away from the stairs and can't hear anything. Oh, and maybe. And then goes back to the door. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, maybe. I hadn't thought about that because she does. You're led to believe that she doesn't encounter Simon on this. Yeah. Because she encounters the five kids who've all been poisoned. And they're all screaming, and she comes in, and she's like, "What have they done to you?" And they're like, they, "They're trying to kill us! They're trying to kill us!" Yeah. Um, and it's quite harrowing. And then all of the screens kind of go off one at a time. Yeah. And he's like, uh, the the guy who's kind of communicating with her over like a headset is like, "I'm going to count you back in and count back down from 10. And then all of a sudden, all of the screens come back on, and she's back sat in yeah, the original seat she was in, scurried back to the chair, yes. ready to go. Um, <laughs> yes, I love that bit. Um, and then she has a conversation with. Uh, with Laura afterwards, and she's saying, um, uh, she's saying, you know, that, and this is like a very classic kind of haunted house line where she's like, uh, you know, things happen, they become like a wound and an echo that repeats and repeats until someone hears it. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's, we've heard it all before in other horror films, but it's just so much more beautiful in this one. Um, <laughs> and then um, she says, those of us who are closer to death, yeah. uh, are able to hear the voices more. And flashes a little scabby arm. Yeah, which we assume is lesions. Yeah. And that maybe she's also HIV positive or has AIDS. I yeah, don't know. it could be any um, disease, really. Yeah, I, I guess it's just the like, because the we, I think, is referring to her and Thomas. Yeah. Um, and not Simon. Thomas, Simon. Yeah. 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 Um, although uh, Simon wasn't close to death. 
No. He was being treated for HIV and seemed fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, so then, anyway, the father just wants this all to end, um, as does the psychologist. It's like, you, this is a farce. They're going to want money from you, blah, blah, blah. They make them leave. Yeah. And then as just as the, they're about to pull away, the I really love the relationship between Laura and Aurora. Um, like, I think they have this little, like, connection. Yeah, um, I, it, well, yeah, I just, yeah, anyway, you finish what happens, then I'll sort of say my bit on Aurora. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, and she says, what do I do next to Aurora? Like, what am I supposed to do? And she says, like, you're a good mother, um, you need to be guided by your own pain, like, it will tell you what to do. Yeah, um, and I think that the what basically it sounds like uh, Aurora's saying is, like, you need to be close to death, and if you're close to pain then that will help you. And so basically almost implying that she needs to nearly kill herself. <laughs> um, oh, because she does say, how far are you willing to yes. go? Interesting. I uh, never thought that before. Yeah, and so I don't think the advice... Is, I mean, obviously it sort of works out, and she does take the advice, but um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I think she puts the, the seed of the idea in her head, basically. Interesting, because I was reading that as a more... Obviously, I can't think anything critical about this. But I was I was re- reading it as a more, like, kind of poetic thing, where it was just like, you are feeling the kind of grief and pain that only a mother can feel, but that pain can be useful in helping you kind of yeah. resolve this in whatever way it needs to be resolved. Yes. Um, and maybe it's both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, next thing we see, uh, Carlos is taking down all of these maps with pins in. They've kind of set up, like, a sort of uh, silent witness CSI yeah, kind yeah, of room yeah. with photographs and newspaper cuttings. And he's like, I want to leave, I want to go, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, she says that she doesn't. She's wandering around the house maybe the next day, and she's just like, um, she's kind of speaking to the ghosts, and she's like, you can't scare me, just tell me what you need from me, and tell me where Simon is. And then the window uh, in the background kind of swings shut and smashes. Explodes. And it draws her attention to a window seat that you can lift up. Yeah, that was the bit that I thought was a bit funny, actually, because if they are playing the game, how was she meant to know that the, what we're about to find out is there, was there without this? Well, because they, they are playing the game, but they're trying to help her solve it. Um, how would she know to look there without because, this because, bit? Well, that's why they do it. But you said that they left the doll in the bed to try and help her f- uh, start the game. Yeah, and, I, she, and she didn't get it. So now they're having to do something else to guide her there. I think that's a bit of a stretch. But I, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't. I think it's, um, they're like kids trying to help her solve their but puzzle. But there was no way of her like solving, finding a doll in the bed, and then was it, like realising that it was they were all under the window. <laughs> well, no, but she, but she could have been like... I mean, obviously, this would be a stretch, but there are kids playing a game with her where she would be like... My treasure's been stolen, which is my child, yes. and they've replaced it with this, so I need to find out where this belongs to find out where the next thing belongs, which is how the game works. Oh yeah, no, I get the um, logic. I just don't think <clears throat> she would have been able to find them without the window smashing. <laughs> well, she managed to find the door handle place in the end. She just has to try hard, doesn't she? <laughs> how will? It, how far are you willing to go, Lara? Well, I think this is going to have sort of an impasse with this part. Let's <laughs> it carry is. On. I, I, I just, I can't believe you hate this film so much. <laughs> this literal perfect film sent from by the angels of heaven. <laughs> anyway, she finds the the, the the all the dolls in the obvious place, <laughs> in the place that the children have helped her to find. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes, when it was time. When it was too late. Uh, when it was, it was always too late. Um, <laughs> anyway, so she puts the doll, the the other doll in there, and she notices a photograph of her and Simon, and then uh, she goes to the photo album, finds like a. Um, like a pressed rose goes to the rose bush finds a bit of her sewing she goes 
to where her, her she was doing the quilt, yeah. the quilt and it's got the the door handle wrapped in it. Yeah. Oh no, it's got the I mean it's got the wrapper from the ice cream oh, he had when he had tonsillitis. From his treasures box. Yeah, and then she finds the door handle in the uh in the treasure box thing. Um and then she goes around the house desperately trying to I really like this because I, f- I feel like this bit is really like I, I realistic in a way, obviously not that realistic, but she's running around look, looking at all the door handles to see where this one goes. But then she her, her mission kind of gets distracted because she finds Benigna, Benigna's pins that she had pinned on her like lapel, uh, which had little photographs. Of oh. her. She finds them in the storage room. So next she's to the out in the shed with the storage rooms. Like, yeah. Look. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she kind of forgets about the door handle again. Yes. Um and well, yeah, what she finds next would be a good distraction for that game. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not having this argument with you anymore. Um, she so she finds the pins and then she opens the furnace uh, things and it's full. Is it bags of flour? Well, I looked on the ba- on the, the bags that were surrounding it, and it's pesto, which is plaster, I guess, for oh, building. Okay. okay, but I don't know if that's what's in the bags. It's not clear. I mean, it could be. It's like white yeah, powder yeah, that goes yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> cocaine. Um, <laughs> it's actually MCAT. <laughs> um, the uh, so she she splits that open and or you know one of them spills, puffs a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, goes for a little dance. Uh, <laughs> no, one of them splits and and she sees like a bit of bone, like a jawbone. Yeah, or something. she fishes out a jawbone. Yeah, and then she's like, please not Simon, Simon, and then she like rips open the bag, the other bags, and she finds. Very handily finds the bits that wouldn't have burnt, which is the leg brace and uh, some other odds and sods, and also yeah. some clothes as well. Yeah. Um, um, so she obviously makes the assumption that uh, Benigna, in revenge for her those kids inadvertently killing her son, she po- she's poisoned them all yes. and got rid of the bodies. How the other staff never coined on that all of the orphans went missing yeah, is the biggest problem. Like, well, maybe she just left and, well, they just were like, I don't know where she went and also the kids have gone and we'll never solve this mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and, but also, like, maybe... So that was, like, 30 years before Thorgan's Bates. So, like, uh, like the late 70s. The maybe they didn't care times. about orphans yeah. enough to kind of follow it up. That's true. I don't know. I, I do think that's the, that's the one plot thing I can't... Overlook, yeah, but also still perfect in every way. Yeah, um, so then, uh, where are we? So, um, yes, uh, at this point, she um, she speaks to her and Carlos have another conversation where he's like, I'm going, we're not staying here anymore, you're going mad. Just oh, sorry, does she tell anyone about the children in the in the, the, the shed? <laughs> Yeah, don't we see police again at that point? I don't know. Okay, yeah, maybe. Or because there's some bit where there's they're saying like this is what happened, and I think it might be with the police. Uh, yeah. Or maybe with Pilar. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. So her and Carlos have another conversation where he's like, "This is weird. We can't stay here anymore." Yeah. And she, um, she still at this point thinks that the she's like, um, she's like they. Uh, she took revenge on the kids for playing a trick on Thomas, and now they're playing a trick on me and Simon. So she still doesn't see that they're actually like trying to help her at this yeah. point, um, which is reasonable enough, as you've pointed out. They might not be helping in the most directly obvious way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and she says, "You can go, but I need two more days." 
And then this starts perhaps my favourite, like, stretch of scenes where she, like, really kind of frantically rebuilds the kind of how the room sort of looked. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. So she make, puts up the scarecrow and she takes down all the modern beds and puts up new beds. Although, interestingly, even though there were only six beds when she was there, she puts eight beds there. Yeah. Um, because her and Simon are about to join them. Yeah. Um, and then she goes out, she picks berries, she lays the table. She's she also, puts like, the... choking loads of pills during this whole yeah. bit. Um, and also, this is, like, a really kind of nice bit that you don't see in any other horror films, where it's just, like, we're trying to find out what it is that the ghost wants from us. Why don't we try and kind of recreate the setting that they're stuck in? Like, it's kind of a nice, weird, mm. quite simple idea that hasn't been used anywhere else that I know of. Yeah, I can't think of another one. Um... So she uh, she sits down at the dinner table with... Um, <laughs> it's like a, a, a doll's tea Yeah, like a tea party. <laughs> um, and then one of my favourite little details, which is where she's she's trying to scoop a bit of sugar out, and it's just like really like kind of... Oh, it's like solid, yeah. yeah. And she gets so frustrated that she just like screams, and she's like, what do you want from me? Um, and then next is where she plays uh, Toco La Pared, um, yes. which is that knocking game that we mentioned at the beginning. Um, and it, uh, this scene is beautiful. Yeah, this is like really she good. is, she starts off quite confidently, and then the camera really slowly pans round to show the room behind her. Then pans back. She does it again. She, the door opens slightly, and she hesitates. And like she, she just gets more timid every time, and her voice keeps cracking. And then eventually, the camera turns around, and there's some kids there. And then they get closer and closer um, until one of them taps her on the shoulder. Yeah. And then she tries to chase them. And she says to one of them, please don't run away, who's about to run under the stairs. Please don't run away. I just need to know where Simon is. And she runs in and disappears. And there's this really nice bit where the door swings inwards. But then when she goes in, there's no way for the door to swing. So it's like, that's obviously how the door used to look. Oh, um, nice. And the cupboard is full of all of this stuff. She goes inside of it and she's like, what am I supposed to be looking at? And the door shuts. And then she opens it again. And then it shuts very, very slowly. And then all of a sudden you see someone, one of the kids behind, like sh- pushing it shut. Yeah. And then... Her, she's like on the floor and her head is right at the level of the door handle and she sees that it's the same door handle. So she takes it, the one that she's got out of her her like dress pocket and switches on the light in there and like scrabbles around to see if there's another place where there's a door handle. And there is. So part of the wall, the wallpaper is uh, like masking like a hollow space. So it's a door and it's kind of, it's wallpapered, but it's got a slit around it so it can open. Mm. But the, um, she peels back the wallpaper a bit to put the door handle in opens it up, and then she finds the basement. So the basement is obviously Thomas's little house that Simon was referring to right at the beginning that he discovered, or that Thomas had shown him, maybe. Yes. And it's got all of his drawings up, and she looks at all of these drawings and a little photograph of Benigno and Thomas, and then she sees Simon sleeping in Thomas's little bed. And he's alive, and he's like, Mama, why are you crying? And she mm. picks him up. And then this is my second favourite monologue of the film where she's holding him and she starts to hear like creaking and banging from upstairs and she's like just close your eyes close your eyes they can't hurt us and she's like think about uh, me think about your dad think about the friends you'll make at school think about next Christmas and she, she's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like spinning around and then all of a sudden it kind of pans in right on her face and then the light kind of changes Yeah. and then the bundle that she's holding which was him all of a sudden becomes kind of lighter yeah. and it just drops and it's just a blanket and then she makes the realisation that what happened, because in the background over her shoulder you can see the broken banister. So what happened was that Thomas had, sorry, Simon had gone into <laughs> Thomas's little house um, 
when she'd been looking for him, she'd accidentally trapped him in with the scaffolding. Yeah. And then he had been banging, which she'd heard at night. But then he'd fallen, broken the banister, landed awkwardly because his neck's kind of all bent around. Yeah. Um, and then she sees him finally as he is, which is looking a bit green as he would after yeah, months and months. Yeah, a little bit dead. Yeah, and kind of, and she picks him up. She does lots of screaming, lots of very awful screaming. Yeah. And then she goes up and sits in the bedroom in the wind on the window seat thing, and she's holding him, and she's taking more tablets. Um. And then what happens? Yeah, I like the way she carries him up the stairs. Kind of like the Pieta, which is the other Catholic reference. Oh. Um, and like, it's very much like kind of mother with child, like I weeping, see. and it's all very beautiful. Um, and then, and she acts the shit out of it. Like, she's <laughs> so good. She is so good. Um, and then she takes more tablets, um, and then she looks through the window and sees herself. Um, after the and the lighthouse has like lit up the room, yeah, and then all of the when she looks back in the room, all of the uh, the other orphans are sat in up in their bed, apart from one who's Thomas who comes in kind of separately, and he leads the blind girl who's called Alice. Her name <laughs> is Alice. <laughs> Actually, Alice. <laughs> and Thomas is Thomas is taking her there, um, and Thomas takes her to uh to Laura and she touches Laura's face and like it is Laura which is have you seen Hook? Oh, is it not? Oh Do you know where where yes. Peter Pan comes back and they all touch his face and they're like, it's him, it's him. Yeah. Um that's the other uh, illusion. The illusion. Um it was a perfect illusion. Like <laughs> <laughs> a horror show special. <laughs> um and then she uh she sits around, tells them all a story um, she has obviously overdosed at this point. Yeah. Her St. Anthony necklace, uh, she pulls it out at some point. Yeah, drops. she takes it off. Yeah. Um, Maybe she's found what she was looking for. Yeah. And then at the end, I don't know that this additional scene is really necessary, but you see the graves, or like a memorial plaque that's for uh, Laura, Simon, all of the orphans, yeah. including Thomas. Including Thomas. And then uh, the husband, who's just been a useless lump at this point, <laughs> wanders yes. around the room and finds the necklace and he's he's kind of crouched down looking at it and then the doors swing open and um and he kind of looks towards the door and smiles yeah and i guess that's kind of like referring back to when the woman in the grief group saw the, oh. uh, the kind of warmth and serenity the, yeah. Oh, nice. I hadn't really yeah, I'd never really known what to make of that last scene. Yeah, i think that's what that's meant to be. Yeah. So, why do you think it is that Thomas sort of takes uh, Simon down to his secret room? Because he wants a friend, maybe? I don't think it's, like, a malice thing. It was <laughs> just sort of strange when, obviously, he's been talking to his, like, secret friends, um, and they tell him all about his disease, and then the specifics about how long he'd survive without his medication come up, um, and it made me think that they had a plan to trap him, or, like... Well, they wanted him to join they them. They wanted him to die, yeah. Well, maybe they wanted Laura to join them, and that was the way to do it. Ah, that's um, the way to do it. Because they they didn't necessarily want her as she was. They wanted her to look after them. Yeah, that's And that right. was probably the way of doing it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they are trying to help him, but, yeah, maybe there was an element of malice. <laughs> but only because... An element of murderous malice. <laughs> but only because they were kids and they needed someone to love them. Yeah. Um... Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, it's pretty mean, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
So, representation. Uh, what are we thinking about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, people of colour, there's zero, isn't there? There is. There are zero. However, did you notice when Benigna... I only noticed this this first time, and I've literally seen it a million times. Literally a million. A Not, lit- without without any hyperbole, I've seen it <laughs> ten million, million, trillion times. Um, when they... When uh, he's giving mouth, Carlos is giving mouth to mouth to Benigna, right? And there's a crowd standing around. Did you notice there's a guy in blackface? What? Yeah. So there's um, there's a guy, and he's kind of dressed up like a king. He's got like a big white collar with the little blacks, like furry collar with the little black kind of like speckles on them. What is what? What's that? I think, and I don't know, but I'm pretty sure in Spain they have some really problematic like celebration oh, where I've like kind of festival. And it was set around, and at that point it's like Christmas time, because there's snow on the ground and there's a Santa Claus in the background. Maybe it's like some kind of, I I should have looked it up, but I'm pretty sure it's like a kind of festival that they try and like, out-ban every year, but they're like, no, it's tradition, so we can be racist if we want to be. You think that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess guess it's a a nice detail in a way that, you know, he's there, but it's, but there, there are no... That I can see, there are no non-white well, yeah, characters. In there. A I, it's not no, but, but it's a representation of racism. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's entirely white. Uh, yes, um, obviously, there's no queer representation. There isn't, but the one thing I would say about that is it's very nice. Uh, well, it's not nice to see that. It's that's lovely a, that there's no queer. No, representation. It's, I, I'm trying to think how I can word this in a way that doesn't sound too weird. But like, it's very rare to see a character with HIV. Or A that isn't from the LGBTQ community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's kind of that's representation. But yeah, I guess like that's the kind of like age-old problem. Really, what you're talking about is the kind of uh, kind of the associations of LGBT culture with HIV um, when they are two separate things. (laughs) Yeah. um, So, but it was refreshing to see because you don't normally see people with living with HIV who aren't. Yeah, yeah, LGBT. yeah. Um, but yeah, no queer representation, really. No. Uh, women? I mean, yeah, I think the women are all pretty iconic. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like the classic haunted house where the husband's useless, the woman knows what's going on and is trying to figure things out, but is battling against people who won't listen to her or believe her. Yeah. Um, my Maybe my only reservation is that her final... I, I mean, I, I wonder if you could do the kind of like a version of the Bechdel test where it wasn't about a woman being interested in a man, but in a woman only having her motherhood and nothing else. Like her role of a mother is all that there is. Yeah, um, that's true, actually. I mean, I guess in a, in a sense, there's also her friendship to the people that she was friends with when she was younger. Yeah, and obviously the bit of has is two women talking to each other, which it does happen, actually. Yeah, with the, the medium, um, extra large. Um, <laughs> and, um, and with Benigna, but I mean, they don't have a very nice conversation. No. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I, it wouldn't fail the rectile test. Yeah. But, but also, I think there's something about the fact that her, like, kind of resolution to this is to her being in a carer role. Yeah. And, like, a kind of a maternal role, well, which is I not necessarily a bad... That was her aspiration anyway, because of opening up the home. That's what she wants to do. Yeah, that's true. So it's not like she's maybe this was just out. a whole, Maybe this was just a whole big ruse to ensure that exactly what she wanted to happen happened, but she didn't have to deal with a stupid husband anymore. So. <laughs> She could just live forever and ever and ever. Um, um, in 
Neverland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's such a great character. Um, yeah, and she kind of... Yeah, all, well, all uh, the women are the best characters in that. Yeah. Like, Simon is adorable, but it's carried by the women. Yeah, absolutely. Well, except for the female cop who's, yeah, annoying. Yeah, shit. well... Um, a cab. Yes, again, another, <laughs> another case. <laughs> um, so, disability, I guess, there's much more to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you touched on it earlier, didn't you, when Lord? I'm a, a little bit uh, 50-50 with this one, because I think the only negative portrayal of... Well, I mean, but is I, I'm, I'm trying too hard to defend all the problematic elements of this one because I love it so much. But like, so, and we spoke about this in Midsummer as well, which is the idea of having a character who has a physical disability of some sort, like a, sorry, like a facial disfigurement. Yes. As being the kind of like the monster or the grotesque or like the shock factor. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but that is kind of part of the story. Like they were ashamed of him. And that is about those attitudes that existed then. And that is kind of why he was like outcast. And I mean, I know, it's it's lazy. I it's... mean, yeah, you could have just done the bullying without the bullying being about a disfigurement. And I think it's mainly for shock value because his outfit with the, the sack head is quite iconic in yeah. a kind of horror way. And it wouldn't make sense for him to have a sack over his head unless he had yeah. something kind of that that was to, to hide. Yeah, um, yeah. They could have made it about <clears throat> anything. But yeah, so it, I don't really think it's defendable. I think it's still a case of using disability as a monstrosity. Yeah, I mean, uh, even 100% perfect films can get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but however, still however, aside, aside from <laughs> that character, the other characters, there's loads of uh, kids with disabilities in the film. Oh yeah, who are best lives. Well, um, except until they get murdered. Well, until they get murdered, yes. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like um, they're all playing with a girl who has a leg brace, who's still joining in, and they're still like, you know, like the the uh, it's the they all trust the blind girl to be able to say yes, this is definitely Laura. Yeah. Um, and there are loads of kids just having a nice time at the party who uh, like kids with Down syndrome and things. So uh, there are more portrayals of disability in this film than there are in many others. It's interesting actually that at the party that they have the open day that they have um, quite a lot of uh, children with Down Syndrome but none of the children in the actual house have Down Syndrome. I wonder why. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe Down Syndrome wasn't fashionable then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean maybe yeah, I mean they, they did just make him his disfigurement so that he could wear a cool outfit. Yeah, spooky yeah. outfit. Yeah. Um, uh, oh well. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Award. Award. Da, 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 da. Um, so first up in the awards categories, as is traditional, favourite character of the film did, did you have a favourite I character? did. My favourite was the ginger girl who was attending the party at the beginning wearing a mask <laughs> that, the, uh, that, the, that Laura mistook for her dark-haired male child. <laughs> and then when, when, and when the wig's taken off, she just like laughs. She's just like, ha 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 
She was my favourite. Who was uh, yours? Uh, my favourite was the Scarecrow, who's at the beginning and at the recreation of the haunting. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yes. Um, what was your spookiest moment? So I would also put this in the top five spookiest moments from any film I've seen. Um, it still scares me, but the first time I saw it, I was terrified. Was the scene where she's recreating the Toca La Paredo yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. game. Um, it's so beautifully shot. It's so tense. There's no music to it. Um, and it is just done, like, the pacing is perfect. It's just so good. I love it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's undeniably the spookiest bit of the film. Um, before that, I made a note of the, the sort of, like, the scene of the, the flashing out of the medium, but that's yeah. really mild compared to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what, what was your lols moment of the film? Uh, I think the funniest bit is when Benigna runs away when she's first caught. Well, that is my favorite. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. <laughs> she just looks so mischievous and, like, cartoon character I, and so also the hilarious. music doesn't help. It's like... Whoop, whoop, yeah. whoop, whoop. <laughs> and she just looks like a naughty little girl when she's caught in the shed. She's like, whoop! Yeah. Run away! <laughs> also, I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's not yeah. a lol fest, the film, but there is another like nice little funny bit where... when Because Simon is, is quite a like, precocious, funny character. Yeah. And when he sits down with them when they want to talk about the fact that he's adopted and uh, has is living with HIV, yeah. um, he says... Is Santa Claus a lie as well? <laughs> oh, <And> yes. Yeah. <laughs> also a lie, sadly. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so, best death, worst death? Best death is Benigna's. Yeah. Like, that's... Uh, that's iconic. Yeah. I, well, it's funny for me, because I was thinking in terms of, like... Worst, like using using best death and worst death in this kind of situation is quite weird because really his death is the worst uh, because of how tragic and awful. It yes, is. but we mean worst in like I as know, in like I which know. is the shittest. But, I mean, usually, <laughs> usually it's like yeah, just like tacky reasons, or this yeah. is actually just like har- harrowing. So it's like calling it best death seems a bit <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> Well, I'm sticking with it. Uh, what did you say for worst death? Well, um, as uh, we noticed, there's only actual two deaths during the film. Oh, well, there's actually three, isn't there, with her committing suicide? But you can't really include that as a worst death. Well, I, I actually said one that you didn't mention there, which was all of the kids that get poisoned. Oh, that doesn't happen during the film, though. It doesn't. Yeah. But it's alluded to, and no, we kind no, of hear it fair, happening. Um, but I think the reason, I mean, the idea, like, it could be a cool horror moment seeing kids getting poisoned, and I like that you can hear it. Like, I think that's yeah. really chilling. But the fact that it doesn't m- make that much sense in the plot is the bit that I, that yeah. stops it being a really useful death. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, well, I forgot about... Well, I didn't include any of those, so I just uh, automatically default into worst death for Benigna in the bus. Um, but um, That was the best death! No. What did you say for best death? Best death. Well, we just discussed this in terms of the best death being um, Simone. Well, falling off a staircase. Well, no, just how chilling and awful it is. Oh, we've got it all backwards, haven't we? <laughs> we have. I, I see. I'm talking like best death, as in most iconic death. Uh, That's Benigna. About the spectacle. Of death. The spectacle of death. <laughs> yes. I'm talking about the theatre of death. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll just have to, uh, we, we need to co- get a notary to just decide exactly how we're defining these categories, since they become so blurry. Uh, so yeah, so, what, so wait, what's your best or worst The death? best death is Benigna's. Right. 
the worst death is the fact that the kids oh, yeah, getting yeah, poisoned yeah. doesn't really plotically make sense. Plotically. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, queerest moment doesn't... It's, it's not a queer this, film. No. But I guess it's interesting to see representation of a character living with HIV yeah. who isn't from the LGBTQ community. And similarly sexiest to those I have a sexiest character. <gasps> Is it the scarecrow? <laughs> no, it's Laura. Oh, like, she's okay. such a sexy woman. She is. Um, it was funny, actually. I find... Um, I was thinking her white tight top. Um, and, uh, oh, where she's wearing the tank top? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's reminding me of her Charlie Dimmock vibes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She's way hotter than Charlie Dimmock. I Dimmick. know, I know. <laughs> um, I think she's beautiful. And she... I mean, she carries the film as well. Like, she's such a great actress. And, like, she... I, I really notice she acts with her hands as well. Like, even if it's just a, a, up close of her trying a doorknob or something, like, she's just, there's something so, like, beautiful and, like, if, kind of... If only you could see right now, Sean is acting with her hands. <laughs> it's very magical. Look at my lovely fingers. <laughs> sexy fingers. Um, yeah, I mean, she's so beautiful. She's brilliant in this. Yeah, I guess I just didn't consider her sexy because she's just all, like, grief-stricken and sad the whole time. She is, but that bit where she's, where she's like, covered in the powder from the plaster and she's, like, wiping it off her face. Yeah. Like, she is sexy. Covered in children's remains. <laughs> <laughs> the hottest moment. <laughs> she wears it well. <laughs> oh. Pumpkins. Pumpkins! Uh, well, you yours is going to be five million pumpkins <laughs> out of five. So, out of five, I will give this film a five. And it's not something I plan on doing very often. I can only think of three other films that I would give full five pumpkins for. Oh. But this is my favourite horror film. And yes, it does have some minor problems, plot-wise, and also the use of the kind of disfigured character. But... You enjoyed Sleepaway Camp, so you can't judge me. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I don't judge you. I just disagree strongly. No, not strongly. Zero pumpkins. No, no I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, but actually, I don't know why, but I, I just don't love it as much as you do. Um, I do really enjoy it, and it definitely has spooky moments. Um, uh, and it's very clever, but for some reason, I just like, it doesn't, doesn't excite me as much as other films. Um, so I'm going to give it a 3.5. That's the same as you gave Sleepaway Camp. Camp. Yeah. Oh my God. So that, that's, my, that's <laughs> the return to Sleepaway Camp Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's not. I mean, like probably, okay, maybe four actually. Because I mean, the, the only reason I marked, I mean, like I, like I said at the Sleepaway Camp, I would have marked it like five out of five had it just been just for how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, like it's they're giving it deductions based on the actual fact that it's shit. <laughs> Whereas with this one, it's technically really good, but I just don't feel that much yeah. about it. I guess as well, we do have quite different taste in film. Like we tend to always like the same films, but like my favourite genre is The Haunted House. Like that is, and like I like the kind yeah. of like sadder, bleaker films. Yeah, whereas I like a romp. Yeah. Yeah. But we can both agree it is Gur 9. It is Gur 9. <laughs> yeah. Gur 3.55. Gur 9! So today's uh, spoopy bit um, is uh, orphanage related. Uh, I thought uh, only seemed fit. Well, 
Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, Great choice. So thank you. Uh, so this is about an orphanage in uh, Galveston Island, Texas, called St. Mary's. Um, it housed a lot of children whose parents died from uh, outbreaks of yellow fever. On the 8th of September, uh, 1900, a terrible storm hit the island that ended up actually being the deadliest natural disaster in the history of the United States. Um, as the orphanage began to flood, the sisters working there tied the children to themselves with rope. Um, to, to themselves? To the nuns? Yeah, the nuns tied, like, a uh, like line of children to themselves. <laughs> um, so that, yeah. All right. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they all die. It's just a funny visual. Like, you know, when elephants all hold each other's tails. Um, so anyway, as they're, they're, they're screaming in peril and dying. Yeah, that's um, very serious. Yes, um, <laughs> So they're going up and up in the orphanage to try and escape the floodwaters. Um, eventually the roof uh, collapsed and killed 90 orphans. <laughs> You're laughing now? No, um, and uh, 10 of the sisters. Um, uh, their bodies were discovered still tied together by the rope. Sure. Oh, you no. did that little extended look at me. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted me to laugh. <laughs> um, only three of the orphan boys survived, uh, clinging to a tree for the whole day until they were rescued by a small boat uh, from the town. Were they still... Were they still tied? No, they were, I guess, not tied. No, <laughs> a really long rope. <laughs> um... So, yeah, apparently uh, one of the surviving boys witnessed uh, a nun reassuring two of the small children, I will never let you go. She was found with both children still firmly grasped in her arms, dead. Um, Maybe she should, should have let them go. <laughs> yeah, she might have let them go. I'll never let you go. Unless you're drowning, in which case, <laughs> please do let us go. Uh, the nuns and the children were buried where they were found. Um, fast forward to modern day Galveston. I feel like we've. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm finding this so oh funny. I feel like maybe um, we sh- <laughs> we finally found the subject matter for Sister Act Three. <laughs> <laughs> the, the deadliest uh, event that ever happened to the United States, killing thirteen thousand people. <laughs> 30? Oh! They were part of the... Yeah, the, oh wow. Yeah. I was going to say, they weren't all tied together, were they? <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole of the United States tied <laughs> to each other. Um, so, yes, back to modern day. Um, and two buildings were constructed where St Mary's once stood. Um, and as, of course, we know with horror films, if you build mm. on a place where there's been a terrible disaster... Which is literally the entirety of uh, <laughs> the US. Yes. Um, <laughs> then there will be hauntings. Um, and there are. Uh, so uh, the two buildings are a hotel called the Galvez and a big Walmart. Um, apparently, employees in the Walmart have reported hearing children laughing and also crying for help and random children's toys going missing from the shop floor. Um, one employee heard cries um, for what she assumed was a missing child uh, lo- lost in the closed store and got uh, colleagues to try and scout around the whole store looking for the child. Um, but they searched the entire store and there was nobody to be found. Um, the hotel has its own set of hauntings. Um, and so uh, a lot of ghostly children uh, seen mm. larking about. 
um, uh, roaming the corridors. Also, poltergeist activity, uh, slamming doors, uh, piano playing, and uh, lights turning on and off randomly without any That's interesting, because isn't poltergeist sort of activity isn't normally related to a like a human ghost, is it? Uh, yeah, mm. they usually associate them with like teenage girls or like. Uh, and also, it's normally more like a demonic spirit rather than like. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the most famous ghosts um, uh, that guests and construction workers at the hotel have seen um, is one little girl wearing 19th century clothing who hangs around the lobby playing and bouncing a ball. So, she sounds kind of cute. Yeah, she sounds adorbs. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, apparently there's one, actually there's a random also, uh, a haunted room that's nothing to do with the orphanage as well in the hotel, it's like room 501, um, apparently um, uh, a, a, a fiancé or wife-to-be was waiting for her husband, uh, who was a fisherman, and he died at sea and she killed herself in the room. And now they actually advertise it on the hotel website as like a haunted room that you can go and stay in. Oh, it's in such poor taste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess that's what it's like in the past enough. You can have a good laugh at it, can't you? (laughs) I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. Such poor taste. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) touche. If you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends.